Hello and welcome to the Wholehearted Healer Podcast. My name is Dr. Avine Banish and I will be your host. This is the weekly podcast that helps women pause in their busy lives, drop into the heart, and remember their next right step. I am so happy that you're here. Hi, friend, and welcome to another episode of the Wholehearted Healer podcast. This week, um, I'm excited to share my conversation with Kristen Ragason. Kristen has just written an amazing new book called The End of Scarcity, The Dawn of a New Abundant World. And a little bit about her, she's kind of a very interesting bio. Um, Kristen's interest in money began as a child as she studied the stock and bond markets with her father to earn her allowance. She grew up seeing the markets as a tool of empowerment, but all that changed when she saw the coming financial crisis of 2008. Sensing something was amiss in her worldview, she discovered everything she knew about money was wrong. Through a shocking revelation, she learned that what we use as money today works against us, creating perpetual scarcity and suffering. This sent her on a seven-year journey around the world to find another way to create money. She uncovered a new way, so simple and so beautiful, a new way already beginning to emerge. Preparing to unleash the natural abundance that exists, we stand on the the precipice of the coming revolution of how we do money. Unstoppable, it comes closer every day. Reading her book will take you from grief, fear, and scarcity to hope, love, and abundance. Kristen is a professional wealth management consultant with 25 years of experience, investing over $150 million. She helps clients navigate markets and achieve financial goals. She is a certified digital currency professional and earned her master's degree from the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy at Tufts University. Kristen holds certificates in FinTech from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and in Money and Society from the University of Cumbria, London. She loves the adventure of life and everything it brings from the many kinds of people to the wonders of nature. She has traveled throughout the world. Her many journeys include climbing Mount Kilimanjaro, hiking through the Sahara Desert, and studying at a spiritual school located in the foothills of Southern India. Kristen, to me, is an example of someone living a wholehearted life. Her new book I found to be really revealing and taught me a lot. Um, and so I think you're really going to enjoy my conversation with Kristen Ragason. Here we go. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Wholehearted Healer. I am your host, Dr. Avine Banish, and we're in for a treat today. I have on as my guest, Kristen Ragason. Um, Kristen is a Senior VP of Investments at Raymond James. She has a 30-year um, history of investing and money management, so she knows her stuff. And I'm really excited because she has written an amazing new book entitled The End of Scarcity, The Dawn of the New Abundant World. And I have had the good fortune of um, getting into it and reading a good portion of it. And it's amazing. So I think we're going to have a fun conversation today. Kristen, welcome. Oh, thank you so much, Aveen. So great to be here with you. And congratulations on the birth of this new book today, right? It, it hits the... It landed today. Today is the first day everywhere. It's really exciting. 
Amazing. Congratulations. I know it has been a labor of love and a long time in the works. Um, maybe to begin, can you tell us, everyone I feel like has a money story. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about your um, your experience with money, what it was like as a kid and, and how you got into the financial sector? Definitely. Yeah. I, I mean, I was lucky in the sense that I had, you know, I had a wonderment about money right from the very beginning. And so my father was wonderful, sort of hands-on and wanted us to learn about money. We needed to know how to earn it, save it, invest it right from the beginning. And um, it was exciting. So I always figured, gosh, how could I earn it? Could I walk dogs? Could I do things? And then I knew I could pick out what I wanted to buy in town. (laughs) So, you know, to me, it was always exciting. And then as we grew up, we had to earn our allowance explaining to him how the market worked and inflation or interest rates. And um, so it should have been no surprise to me that I ended up becoming a professional advisor, even though it truly still was a shock to me in my 20s. I was like, really, this is what I'm doing? <laughs> so fascinating to me because, you know, um, I have a different money story. And I think a lot of people listening, um, that curiosity, that that sort of excitement is not, I, I wouldn't say it's the dominant money story. So, so working with people for over 30 years, what do you think most people think about money? Yeah, it's, it's really money is probably the most loaded topic. I I think it's, and whether it's conscious or not, it is the, it's, it's the biggest driver that's sort of either humming under society, quietly just lurking under our lives. I remember when I got my first job and, um, you know, I was shaking the manager's hand, taking the job, thinking, what am I doing? I'm going to have to quit in two weeks. I don't want to do this for work. <laughs> and um, and then the first client I sat with, I was shocked. I saw how much angst and shame and guilt and fear and distrust. And I thought, wow, I could really do this. I can actually help these people be empowered, change their relationship with money and you know, this, because at first I thought maybe I should go to the Peace Corps and, you know, or become a civil rights attorney. That's more what I was thinking. I was always interested in empowerment and, you know, the real authentic self. And when I sat across the table for my first prospective clients, I had no idea that this is what the prevalent whole emotion was. And I was, I was hooked at that point. Well, how lucky your clients were to have you, because I think that that's, when you say loaded, I mean, I think people bring all kinds of um, even, you know, the the their family story, their ancestors. There's so much that we bring to this story we have around money and how fortunate your clients were to kind of sit with you to, to sort of be shown a different energy. Right, right. It's it's really because money is this huge operative, um, you know, it's 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 playing a role and then it gets used. Um, and, you know, and you see wonderful families, then all of a sudden money changes it incredibly. It gets used to settle scores, um, to make, to try to win a story. It's fascinating. And, and that's actually not at all what money is. (laughs) So, um, you know, we, we need a radically different relationship with money and that's going to start with a radically different definition of money because we have an entirely unconscious relationship with what money is and money itself. That's a great segue into your book. And so 
Um, can you tell us how this book was born and what, what sort of big idea or big aha you had about money that, that really compelled you to write this book? Yeah. So I wrote the end of scarcity really in the sense of that it, you know, it is the end of scarcity. I grew up believing that money was a thing. And even in the language, like I just said, you know, we need a different relationship with money itself. I grew up believing that money was an actual thing that existed truly floating around in our world and that there was plenty of it on a relative basis. And if people found their passion or something that they loved and they applied themselves, they would be able to earn it and have it in their lives and it would continue to flow. And um, I had a, a profound watershed moment in 2008 where I was fortunate enough to see the collapse coming, um, get people primarily into cash. So I should have been comfortable. And when it imploded, I saw that I absolutely was missing something primary in my worldview about money. And I didn't know what it was because the things, the rules that we counted on, the things that were promised to us, that the promises were not held up. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and then I, you know, you could see how um, we, we all have the idea with enough money, we don't have to worry about scarcity. We don't have to worry about that pressure anymore. So we're just trying to get the money to really calm that down. And what I found was um, no, in fact, uh, that's not the case. And um, and I I think it took me almost nine months, almost 18 months to find the answer. So, um, and then when I found out what it was, I was shocked. And can you share the answer with us? Yeah. So I, um, you know, I, 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 believed like everyone else, or at least everyone else in the financial field that, you know, we saw 2008 because of either bad economic policy or confusing economic policy. Um, Certainly lots of people would argue politics, the more fractured we become, or even social issues, different loans were being created. And none of this was the problem. The problem was in fact, uh, the way that we create money, the way that money is designed Uh, And then what I really found is that money actually does not exist. (laughs) So, (laughs) and this is the truth in our society today. What we see, what we think is money is, is money. We we absolutely have no money in society today. Okay. So that's a really radical statement um, and maybe a confusing one for someone listening. Like I think, you know, people might be thinking, okay, it's all making sense. And then you say that money doesn't exist and people are scratching their heads. So can you further explain that statement? Definitely, because you hold it in your hand, you hold dollars in your hands, you see it in your account, in your paycheck, you see it when you give to something else, someone to something else. The easiest way to begin to describe it is when you think of a quarter, a quarter has a head and a tail. And what we are using today as money is consumer debt. It's someone's mortgage, it's someone's college debt, their credit card debt, hospital debt, a car loan, it does not matter. And so it's just a piece of their loan that either they physically signed or created when they swiped the credit card. And more specifically, when someone goes to a bank and they ask for a loan, we all think that there's money in the bank Mm -hmm. or at least 10% or something that the bank is going to now then you know, let us borrow after they decide that we're credit worthy and that we can pay it back. And it doesn't happen this way at all. 
when we go to the bank to get a loan, um, the bank gives us that financial assessment. And then when we sign on the dotted line to promise to repay that money, they then create it. So our money is completely and totally created when we sign a promissory note, when I promise to pay back the, the bank, then the bank is going to tap, 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 create that money and put it in my account. But just like the quarter with the head and the tail side, they put the money in my account and they also double book entry, tap, 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 put the debt on a new account I have, a mortgage, a business loan, you name it. And um, so money is the, the friendly side of debt, but it's really, truly only debt in our world today. And then something you wrote about that really got me, because there's that statement, but then also this idea that if I have a mortgage, say for you know $100,000, and I pay that over time, when I pay that off, you say that, that the money disappears. That's right. That's right. So, you know, you think about it. Um, so they create the $100,000, they give it to you, you buy the home, the seller now has it, and you now are responsible every month to pay that mortgage or risk losing your home and your down payment. And the bank needs you to pay it because the bank lives on a very thin line of um, its own solvency. And so now the seller hopefully goes out and spends that money because the only way the money comes into our society so that we all can earn it and we can use it is when people spend the debt into existence. And God forbid the seller keeps it in his account because that, that money is now no longer circulating for you, the person who has to go out and earn and capture it to repay it in time. So. I mean, this is so radical. And there's a quote that I wrote um, from your first chapter, and I'm just going to read it because I, I felt like it encapsulated kind of what you said. It says, we live under constant artificial pressure to go into debt, replay loans, and begin the cycle again as soon as it is complete. It's a cycle that can never end if we continue to use money created from debt. 100% true, right? 100% true. And the interest rate, so whether the interest rate is high or the interest rate is low, it just, that's the speed of how fast the treadmill is running. And so when they, when they make money cheaper to borrow or cheaper to be created through our promise to pay it back, um, we get to run maybe at a little slower pace, but it's still extraordinarily pressured. And when interest rates are high on loans, we have to earn and repay and earn and repay, earn and repay at a much faster rate. Um, but the big deal, and, and this is what I, I do think is so shocking, besides the fact that we are 100% dependent on borrowers to borrow in order for money to come into our society for us to function and for people to spend. Um, but yes, when we repay those loans, the money is absolutely destroyed. It's gone. It doesn't exist in our society anymore. So there, there are kind of two neat things to say about that um, because, you know, me, you or me as an individual, if I'm paying back my debt, I'm temporarily feeling better because the burden isn't on me immediately. However, there is less money in the overall system now 
And so there are less people to hire me, less, less the whole system because we're totally unique individuals separate and we're completely together as one pot. And so as soon as I pay off my debt, I need somebody else somewhere out there to take that same debt out immediately and probably more if we have the hope of raising the standard of living for everyone. And so over time, to we, we have to borrow more for this system to work. You have to, right. We have to have more and more and more and more debt. First of all, because also people are, are saving and putting it in savings, which you have to in this society. So this is the same inherent conflict that we feel because you have to participate. And at the same point in time, we're doing ourselves in as we participate. But, you know, the system can be sustainable. It's just that it's, it's and then often it's not, which, you know, but it's it just means that we're constantly running on that hamster wheel. And the best way to think of money, because it really doesn't exist, it's it's floating around masquerading as the head side of the quarter, but it's really someone's debt that needs to be captured so it can be repaid in time. <laughs> and so if you think of a yo-yo, like when you when a little kid is throwing out a yo-yo, when the debt is created, the money now is circulating in society, but it's going to get called back when it gets repaid. So we really actually are living with the um, temporary illusion of money circulating, and um, and 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 because it's be- fundamentally because it's created out of consumer debt. And how does this favor? You know, it seems as if the divide between the haves and the have-nots is widening. So can you explain why and how that happens in this model? Yeah, you know. Um, what happens, the, the problem when you, when humanity has made money, has designed or architected money as, as this um, tool that's meant to help us exchange our wealth with one another. So many different ways, so many different times throughout all of human history. And so we have just really been on this system maybe for about 110 years, even though we've been on iterations of money being designed this way. And what happens, no matter where in the world, that we find money designed as consumer debt, which is the vast majority of this planet right now, um, you get systems that break down into feudalist or oligarchies, and you, you, you cannot have a middle class. You really don't get a lot of social mobility. Um, and so you get more and more and more and more people who are really, truly poor, and and that accelerates over time. And you have a few tiny people who end up, the, mo- the money just gets consolidated at the top. And I wouldn't even say this is done on purpose. This is just what happens when you misdesign money. <laughs> it's really that simple. Wow. Um, you know, the... So, so you present this, and for anyone um, who is confused listening to this, I was, con- you know, I, it sounds so simple, and yet the way you you write the book so beautifully, because sometimes it's these simple, it's like a blind spot, it's these concepts that are so simple, but we need to see them presented in multiple ways to really get it. And I really want to congratulate you on writing a really well thought out and well written book because. Um, you know, you repeat it in different ways. And it was like, by the third or fourth time, I started to get it <laughs> because it just seems so wrong that that's how it's created, that that's yes. what our system is. 
It's absolutely counterintuitive. It's it's the opposite of how we've been conditioned. I mean, I'm literally saying that, you know, oil and, you know, water are one or, you know, day and night are reversed. I mean, it's it's that profound and that fundamental of a reorganization. And I will say that I the book sort of works on your consciousness. So I, it's, it's fascinating for me to see where people read, then they take a break, they come back, or some people really go through because it's working, it's 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 opening up your belief systems and saying, wow, my whole worldview is getting ready to change. Um, and it becomes an unbelievably power empowering when people go through the book. Um, the feedback I've gotten, uh, you know, are that people literally are free of living for the money, being owned for the money. They don't see the value outside of themselves anymore. They actually truly experience the end of scarcity. And it's, it's been fascinating for me to watch this, but I will say that when I first had this revelation that money was consumer debt, and this was 10 years ago, it took me almost 18 months before it settled in my mind. I sort of felt like a fuzzy feeling on the top of my forehead. And then one day I got it and enough people, sort of us geeky money reformers or, you know, people who found this fascinating have been talking about this, that the field is seeded already in the consciousness. And, you know, and then also cryptocurrency has helped, um, but, you know, it's still not the answer, but it really has been a facilitator. And so people are able to grasp this much more quickly. Um, you know, and you, you read the book and especially where chapter one will work you back and forth gently, <laughs> but it does create that stunning revelation. And can you walk us through, you know, kind of understanding or getting that revelation? Because when I hear that, I just feel like, oh my gosh, is this all a sham? And what am I doing? You know, you know, you pay off one house and then you're like, oh, it's time to get a bigger house. Um, How do we move from kind of that shocking revelation to the end of scarcity? Uh, You know, it's... um... The first thing that I would say is that it's actually happening. Um, we 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 fundamentally need to redesign the money. So there's a parable that I love in the book, which is a parable I heard years and years ago, and um, I've even forgotten who wrote it, but I think it was a Sufi sage, and he said there was this old man um, in the dark of night, bitter cold, under the lamppost, searching for his lost keys, and the traveler comes by and sees him and feels for him. And asks him what he's looking for, starts to help him. And the hours pass and it's cold and they're exhausted, no better off than they were. And the traveler asks him, are you sure? Are you sure this is where you lost them? And the old man looks up abruptly and says to him, no, I no, I, I lost them two blocks down to the east. <laughs> you know, and the traveler is dumbfounded and says, you know, feeling anger doesn't, you know, is exasperated. Why are we looking here? And the old man says, because there's light, I can see. And meanwhile, the keys wait for us to find them, wait for them to find them in the dark, this unknown territory where they haven't searched. So this is the same place where we are. This story is absolutely our story. We know something is wrong. And, you know, maybe for the last 10 years, some period of time, maybe even 30 years, we've just still had that inkling that something was wrong, even if life is working for you. And certainly if life is not working for you. And now, of course, this is accelerated. So um, the problem is that people 
have no idea. They're only looking where the light is. They're arguing about politics um, and getting more and more exasperated and more divided and more hurt. And even in their own families, more isolated. They're confused about economics. Now we have, should it be socialism? Should it be communism? Should it be Marxism? You know, should it be, is there is capitalism the, the big bad bear? Um, and, you know, is it social issues? Is it racial? Is it sexist? Is it this? Is it that? So we are on this wheel, spinning our wheels that is exactly searching under the light of the lamppost. And meanwhile, down here, just quietly waiting is this concept that we have an unconscious relationship with money. And so it starts there. We start to find out what the heck is money? <laughs> what, what is this thing? How does it differ from wealth? And now the journey begins, the, 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 the pathway of this beautiful future that's calling us. And so in your wholeheartedness, in your, in your highest vision of the future of money, what does it look like? Oh, it's gorgeous. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's, um, you know, because, uh, my money is is inseparable from from beauty, from expression, from creation. Um, it's and and money is is really something that comes. It's it's meant to just come when creativity is looking to exchange in the flow. So there are a couple. Uh, you know, the the first thing that I would say that we are truly like the little baby chick in the egg right now. Who is being held by what we know that's kept us safe, that's given us wonderful structure, you know, for as much as um, we can have lots of criticisms of this world, uh, still there's been a structure that has created a relative enough stability to allow us to explore what is. But now that chick has started to grow and it's bumping up against its shell. And not only that, the toxins that it's producing by growing are you know, creating this incredible confusion that it now has to peck against what looked like kept it safe. But um, it has no idea of the world waiting for it. And so here we are as humanity, we're in this incredibly, you know, um, painful, critical, intense, sometimes fascinating, sometimes incredibly scary. Here we are at this. And could it be that this system was meant to be here, this, this, this form of money? And then, you know, now it's going to be redesigned by truly what is, is waiting for us. You know, Kristen, it's so fascinating because I talked to a lot of brilliant visionaries on this podcast, people who I call them wholehearted people who are willing to um, look at what is, and, and it seems like we come to this a lot on these conversations where we sort of come to this moment where we have to ask, so does the way that we're doing things have to dissolve or do we somehow transcend and include our current money system? You know, what has to happen to create this new, to find the keys to blocks East? <laughs> Right, exactly. To really end, to really have the end of scarcity. I love that the subtitle of the book is The Dawn of the New Abundant World. And even on the cover, you see that it is already dawning. And, and this is really where we are. I mean, we may be in the dark part, but it, it has begun 
to Dawn. And so I would say sort of all of that, um, you know, the system itself that doesn't need to get crushed. It doesn't need to go through incredible trauma to build this new system. I often say to people, you know, did we need to attack and rip down phone booths when cell phones came? You know, in fact, they're, they're kind of charming now. They're lovely. And, you know, money, even talking about money reform or what is money, it gets it's it gets very heated in many ways. And people say, oh, you have to get rid of the Fed or you have to do this or, oh, you need gold or, oh, you need Bitcoin or whatever. Right. And this conversation is going to increase because we have a lot coming in the next year or so. But to me, I say, no, you don't need any of that. And in fact, everything from the past, the Fed included, gave us the order and the stability. We are just, we've just, we're just maturing. We're just coming to the place that we know that wealth and money are different. They're totally different. And wealth is inherent in our being. It's a hundred percent, it's inseparable from every moment of the day. And just depending on our perspective, we're tuning into it or not. And, and money is the handmaiden. It's the servant of wealth. It's actually meant to be the servant of community. It's here to serve us in the way that we decide what we want to create things. But because we've designed it incor in, in, incorrectly, we're using an incorrect form. We're living in the illusion of scarcity and being driven by it. And so when you, when you figured this out, and, you know, you write in the book that you were a little depressed, like a little despondent for a while when you actually figured this out. How is it just changing your energy, changing your way of thinking about money? Or how did you, how did your behavior with money change once you realized this? So, you know, um, I, uh, in a way, it was hard to learn what I learned when I learned it because mm -hmm. I very alone, right? You know, and um, and also just so passionate about it. So I felt sorry for the people around me because they were getting an earful <laughs> a lot, you know, whether they wanted it or not. And um, when I first really realized, holy moly, if money is created this way, the American dream is not possible. Um, the confusion about markets uh, can't be contained. A tremendous campaign for. Um, sort of a hedonistic society and even of universal basic incomes, these kinds of things, everything that has pretty wrapping paper, but turns to complete destruction because it, it takes away our the most important um, gift that we have, which is to contribute to others. We have a passion that is running through us all the time to serve one another, whether we're conscious of it or not. And through this illusion of scarcity, we can be, you know, uh, contorted, whispered to, tempted to that it's not possible. You've got to get rid of capitalism. We don't really have capitalism right now. Um, you can't have real capitalism when you when you create the money incorrectly. And so I said to my business partner from many years who retired, there's nothing wrong with the car. There's something wrong with the gas. And so when you create the money properly, capitalism becomes this beautiful citizen. It becomes true investment capitalism, which is what it was intended to when you used to have to get a charter to see if you were serving the community to, to you know, start a business. 
And it's it's really, I'll tell you, this is not even utopian. Everything just sort of falls into alignment. And the, the real crisis that will come is that people will have to then start to come to know themselves again and to sort of call the muse of what's calling them of how they want to serve. And that's, and, and because the money will no longer be, it'll just be ready to serve when, when people have created something that there's real demand for. So, um, and this may sound hard to believe. I'll tell you, it is so easy. And I see already the crumbs on the bread trail on the, uh, you know, on the ground, how this is beginning to take shape. So. Well, I love how um, the view of the future, a better world, right? I think what, what you mentioned about that, I think we've all known for the past, however long, that uh, the way we're doing it is not the right way, that there's something off. Um, in a lot of different areas, but certainly with money. Um, but also, I think with with the way that you explained so eloquently that it's structured, you know, this cons- this this drive to consume is going to consume us, is going to consume the resources of the planet. And so it's, you know, you you paint a much uh, more sane picture and beautiful in terms of service and um, and community and connection. Uh, that it that money can be something to unite us rather than divide and separate us. Definitely, definitely. I mean, truly, when when we get now the architecture correct, and this starts going into communities, because there's many ways it will show up. I think businesses will actually start issuing their own money, um, like Amazon or Apple. Uh, this was done in the 1800s. You know, the city of Denver issued its own money. Um, and it was backed by the production of the people working in Denver. We did not have the technology systems to verify it. Um, so we're going to see uh, just this uh, this this beautiful flow happening. And um, at that point, wealth is going to be the driver in the car, and money is going to be in the back seat. And, and, and all of a sudden, and, and then people said, you know, I, I even run into sometimes people saying, gosh, you mean I can't create all these profits or I can't create this beautiful. No, 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 no. You still can create as much profit as you want. You know, it's, it's how much do you want to contribute? There will be no stymieing on being on what you want to contribute. And it won't lean into businesses that are hurting the world. When you, when you, when you create money out of consumer debt because of the voracious hunger that you have to the first, it creates these seven imperatives. It can, uh, it, it really, I mean, one of the reasons why I call the book The End of Scarcity is that we're living in scarcity almost in every area of our life. Um, it's not enough of anything on one level and certainly not enough time. Um, m- many, if not most people have jobs they really don't love at all. And um, and then we're even buying things that maybe we don't want to. We don't. We feel we, we feel conflicted. So all of this has the opportunity to end, but it's controlled because when you create money as consumer debt, you have to have more debt. <laughs> yeah. And so on some level, you know, I think a lot of people feel that. I mean, you see those, you know. Um, the news loves to highlight, you know, shoppers breaking in on um, 
on the Friday after Thanksgiving, you know, like that voracious energy to consume. Do you think unconsciously we all feel that? And so we are participating in it. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we've heard so many times over the past X number of years, when we were in downturns, all different presidents from different administrations would say the best thing you can do is get out there and consume, you know, and we're not, we're not really referred to as American citizens. We are American consumers. And, um, so, you know, and, and this whole cycle, I mean, it really is running on a hamster wheel that we have to create stuff in order to get people to go into debt, to buy the stuff, to get a job, to pay the debt off, to throw the stuff in the dump, to get new stuff, to be told you're not enough and so on and so on. And there is a big difference between a natural desire of, of growth and new expression that the rest of the planet and the animals live in versus this sort of unconscious state that humanity's in. And um, when we redesign the money correctly, we now join the rest of nature in the ebb and flow of life of what we want to create and what we don't and what we want to enjoy and what we don't. It's, It's an entirely conscious the opportunity to be fully conscious, it becomes a conscious world. It's so beautiful, Kristen. And actually another guest that I've had on this podcast, Nathan Warren, he's a, um, a professor at a university in Oregon. He has a theory called conscious, I'm going to get it wrong. It's conscious community theory. And it's exactly that idea that we're in this art of, that in nature, there are periods of growth and there are periods of rest and that right now in our society, we, there is no natural rest state. We're just always consuming. And so in a more conscious model, there would be times when, you know, you need something new, but there are other times where it's okay and probably beneficial to the system as a whole to rest. Absolutely. 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 Because new ideas come from that and to even be on that cadence you know, I, I say that the nine to five job or this constant running comes again from the debt money machine because the mortgages are due every month. So the rent is due every month. The bills are due every month. So people have to get out there and desperately catch that money. And then the other, you know, the people who are fortunate enough to be benefiting from those or who are even more in debt than they quote unquote should be because in the system, you need everybody in debt to make it sustainable Um, who are putting money aside, you now get vicarious non-investment and, you know, destabilizing things in markets. So in the 70s, you know, you could get 15% on a CD. You could put money in the bank and save it. And so the whole erosion and this sort of self-destruction, the sort of cannibalism of our society and everything we care about comes from misdesigning the money, right? And so it's done. It's and and I, I do want to say that there's nothing wrong with money. I want to make this this point in just a second. But here we are chasing this money, thinking it's going to give us that is going to end scarcity, and that money is actually creating scarcity. It's actually working against us because it's enslaving us in these seven ways, and it's destroying everything we value by um, making us sort of like the hamster chasing, you know, this sugar filled something. And that's the undertone of life, which is completely the opposite of who we are. (laughs) 
Well, Kristen, I think this book, The End of Scarcity, The Dawn of an of the New Abundant World, is, is a gift. I love that you describe it. Certain books, when you read them, to me, they're almost like downloads or they, you know, they shift our consciousness. And I feel that this book is one of those. You've described this. I loved when we were talking before we press record that you feel like you're a steward of this book. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, absolutely. You know, when, when I saw this concept, um, you know, because even when you think of it, is, is money the root of all evil? No, <laughs> it's the money that's designed improperly is the root of all evil. And um, so when I found this, this rocked my world so much. I was, I, I think I was depressed for at least nine months. You know, I, I couldn't dream my own dreams. I was so heartbroken. Um, and then especially helping people at work, I, I, I was so sad. And so I was committed to find the solution because if we designed it improperly, we should be able to divide, you know, design it correctly. So it took me seven years. I went on this amazing journey. I met these incredible economists and money reformers. And I, I constantly, you know, if I, if I wanted to know why they wrote on page 67, why they did, I tracked them down and met them at the airport. <laughs> and, um, and it, it just, I, it was the most incredible experience how I could see through history how this was done. And then when I found the solution, this beautiful man in Canada who found the solution, um, and then also blockchain started to come, a whole host of things. It has been the most kind of beautiful, orgasmic, amazing revelation how you see life is calling us. Life has us where we are so this can be born. And then it was this, tremendous honor. And, um, and so I wrote a, I wrote a version for myself to consolidate my own information so that I felt like I got it. And, uh, I showed it to someone and said, ah, people won't be so interested. That's a regular money book. And four years went by. I was in India sort of looking to help villages in different ways. And I got back in 2016 and I said, my goodness, this book has to be written and I was jet lagged. And all of a sudden, when I was going to sleep, it just started to appear like <laughs> postcards of exactly the order that the book wanted to come. And so I quickly just copied the outline down, fell asleep from the jet lag. And when I woke up, I started to write and I was just trying to translate the images. And then I could hear in my ear, it, was, it took a year and a half to refine and to where I would know, okay, it, it, it had now spoken. So I do, I feel like it's, it's, a, it's an idea whose time has come and it's knocking on many people's doors. And, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be incredible. So, well, I can tell you it is incredible. And I want to just applaud you because, um, it took courage to write this book, especially, you know, your position and, uh, your years in in the field of finance, um, I'm sure there were days when you felt like, oh, I can't, I can't write, you know, that this book is coming, but uh, it's challenging within within the the industry that I'm in, and and so I want to applaud you for your courage to step forward um, and and gift this to the world because I really think, you know, I think it was Marianne Williamson that said. Um, a miracle is a shift in perspective. And so the way that, you know, the fact that you could 
sort of discover that idea that, you know, all of our money is, is from debt and, and then find the miracle in that is really beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And it still is. The money is debt. <laughs> this is so, <laughs> the money is debt. And this is, this is like, what do you mean it's debt? The money is debt. And um, it was never meant to be. It was never meant to be. It, money is a mere technology. It's, a, it's, it's, I love to say to people in the equation, three plus four equals seven. Where is money in the equation? Almost no one can answer the question. And money is the equal sign. And so if you have three plus four and I have seven, we don't have to go out and try to get an equal sign. Or if we have enough people that want to trade at the market, we don't have to quickly count how many equal signs do we have first. You know, or dig them out of the ground. Um, So money was intended to be a technology that was properly designed. And it's so clearly articulated in the book. you know, later on in the book, exactly how it needs to be designed, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a proper tool of exchange. And at that point, when it's done right, if somebody has something to create, boom, that exchange is going to happen. So, um, and, and, and what I will also say is that, you know, it's, it's, I appreciate that so much about the courage. And I couldn't feel any of that because I only felt the compelling beauty and unbelievable vision of the future of what's coming. And it was, it's, it, and even when I would walk around at work and kind of look at the old thing, I thought, oh, how sad people don't get this. They won't, they don't know this yet. And here's the answer. And we just have to get to that point and everything's going to change. So it was more like, you know, when could I get to the book? <laughs> When could we get this message out? And I've really been waiting for the past five years to get the message out. And it just was not ready. And this year it said, now. Well, I love that. Congratulations. Um, If you're listening, run out and buy this book. Um, I'm excited to finish it. You know, I, I, I read the first couple chapters yesterday and it's a really compelling read. You write, um, it almost reads like a novel. Like I love, you just write it in such an exciting way and in in an accessible way. So thank you, Kristen. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad. Yeah. It's, I really thought it had a Celestine prophecy, Da Vinci code kind of aspect to it. It really does. And and it's like, again, it's just, I got the, I got the images. I didn't plan it and I did do everything in the book, but of course there is definitely creative uh, elements. <laughs> so thank you so much. And uh, my prayer is just that as we begin to get this information, we're going to now begin to build the communities or also we will be so prepared um, because the currents that we're, we're really entering a currency war in the next year, we're going to have even the dollar itself may be really up for change and global kind of world currencies may be coming. So it's really important that people start to get a competency so they don't feel scared, they feel prepared, and we know how to choose what's right to end scarcity and really anchor in the dawn of the new abundant world. Well, thank you, Kristen. And I think your book is the perfect place to begin. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. This is so fun. (laughs) 